Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your girl, Uni Mojica, a.k.a. Uni Mo, your co-host of the Make Jazz Trail Again podcast. I'm here to let y'all know that this episode is presented with special support from Winter Jazz Fest. We hope that you continue to like, subscribe, and check us out. Thank you so much, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Make Jazz Trail Welcome back to the Make Jazz Trill Again podcast. We are so, so excited. We have a very special episode for you. I am your host, Melanie Charles. And I'm your co-host, Uni Mojica, a.k.a. Uni Mo. Woohoo! We shouldn't, like, let them know who the special guest is yet, even though mm. they probably can see it on the description, but it's a surprise. Exactly. We, we, the big reveal will come later. <laughs> yes. Um, but as you guys do, we usually like to like recap the the week that we've had. And in between our last episode, both you and Uni and I have had some really fun, exciting happenings. Um, just two days ago, I was on the Stephen Colbert show singing with Sudan Archives. And those of you who know me, Effie White don't sing back up. Okay. Mm. I, I don't do back up. But <laughs> Sudan Archives <laughs> is one of my favorite artists. She's been one of my favorite artists for years. She signed to Stone Th- Stone's Throw. She plays the violin and sings and raps. And she was like, girl. Because remember when we did the Make Jazz Shula Again podcast in Cali? Yeah. She went back home, picked up her violin, and came back to jam with us. So she was like, girl, will you jam with me on Colbert? And I was like, Ooh, yes, girl. Bad. And I need the money. Yes, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that the, happened. I need that Paramount Plus dollars. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So shout out to that and sisterhood and women killing it. And then also um, my partner um, is doing a new series every Wednesday night. Zacchaeus Paul, he's doing a series at Friends and Lover with one of my favorite DJs, Pudge. A uni, you came with me to the launch of their first collaboration. Did yeah, you enjoy it? That was yeah, it was so dope. There was a DJ mm-hmm. that was that was spinning and scratching and then there was a horn player, alto player that was playing and Zach yeah. was playing electronic keys with it. It was a whole vibe and it, people were dancing. Vibe. So y'all got to go mm-hmm. check that out. It's in Brooklyn. Don't miss yes. out every Thursday. Is that every, oh, no, every Wednesday, Wednesday night? Every Wednesday Starting night. Starting at 10. Right. So it's for the late nighters. And then Kit Ann, she's an incredible chef. She makes these delicious, like vegan snacks. So if you if you get tipsy and you need some food in your stomach, the food is so good. Um, make sure you guys come out every Wednesday night to Friends and Lovers for the jungle. Yeah, yeah the jungle. That was that was lit. And you know, that mm-hmm. Wednesday. Last Wednesday was a vibe because you had your Colbert show. We yep. went to Friends and Lovers. I actually ended mm-hmm. up, te- got a chance to teach at Juilliard that day. Charnay Wade, shout out Woo! to Wade. Shout out to Charnay. Yeah, she had me there as a special guest to teach her class, to speak for her class, the, the Jazz Community Project. So I went in there and talked a little bit about nonprofits, the jazz community, um, and 
festivals and institutions that are really pivotal in our community and are, that are really important. So it, it was really special because I've never, now I could say I've uh, taught at Juilliard. Like that was, that was really special to me. And the fact that- That's my friend. Uh, Congrats, Uni. Thank you. So that was dope. And then we met up that same night and we went to go check out a set at the Blue Note. Yes. The illustrious, the legendary Blue Note Club. And we went to go peep an incredible new project that a lot of our yes. friends were featured on. You know, Savannah Harris was playing drums. Yes. Um, Mike King was playing piano and keys and yeah. Um, uh, yeah. um, electronic piano and also uh Fender Rhodes and Rhodes and, and, Nord. Mm-hmm. and then there was this young guitar player that I had never heard of. Um, I think his name was, was his Ivan name? Perlman. I know his last name is Perlman, right? Yes, I think so. Mm-hmm. Anywho, the but the band looked like, like somebody. Somebody oh, no. made me oh, laugh. Yes. They were like, "Is Ellie like Perlman?" He- on guitar. Yeah, and they were like, they were like, if you walk by him, you wouldn't think he was whatever, but then he starts playing and you're like, damn, I can't remember who said that. But yeah, he's like so unassuming and then he just blows you away. Yeah. Yes. And, and Cole then Cooper the was band leader. Oh, don't forget about Nicole. Yes. yes, the glove. The glove. The glove. Mm-hmm. The glove. But oh man, who was the band leader? Who was the band um, leader? Man. I feel like hmm. did he, did he play trombone? Was he was he a trombone? No, no I mean, oh yeah, that's the only instrument we're missing here. Yeah, the bass player. What? Christian McBride. Oh yes, you heard it here first. Today, our special guest is none other than the OG, the trillist, the realist, DJ brother, Mister. On top of that. Mr. Christian McBride, let's get it. What do (laughs) y'all? Two of the baddest sisters in the world. What an honor to be here with y'all. Oh, the the honor is, the pleasure is ours. Shoot. It's ours. ours. I think before, before we get into your incredible career and like, the grounds that you've broken and the connections and the people that you've put on and the lives that you've blessed and how prolific you are, I would like to first acknowledge what you represent to me and my development as a as a musician, as a human. Back at the new school where I studied, I did a a panel series, discussion series with a good friend of mine named Raquel Ward. And we were talking about issues in gender and jazz. This was 2007 at a time where people were really talking about those kinds of topics. Like now everybody talking about gender and jazz and women and jazz and all that. It's a very (laughs) trendy conversation. But at that time, it was a new thing. And you agreed to be a guest on our panel. And my good friend, Dara, who was making a film about myself and a few other students who went to the new school and are career since then the film is called new york love songs dar Golub is the director she played clips for me christian of that session with you in it and first of all you look like a baby you look <laughs> like so like oh my gosh who is this you were you were so like you cared so much about what we were talking about 
and you spoke so honestly, freely. Um, you, you weren't trying to mince any words and you gave us a chance. We were just like college kids that were just trying to, and you, you, you showed up as your full self, ready to talk and get into some real conversation. And I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. I'll never, ever forget that experience. Thank you. Thank you so much. Melanie, it was my honor that you asked. And uh, it was a pleasure to be there. I remember that day very, very well. And yes, you are right. That was not a conversation people were having in 2007. So uh, it was it was a pleasure to be there and and to talk about something that seems so basic. Mm -hmm. Mm. But, you know, here we are. Sometimes folks just ain't ready yet. They ready now. They ready now. They ready now. And I want to talk more about allyship because I know. Uni wants to t- has to talk about how you and Uni met, but I just before before I pass the mic over to Uni, like people always want to talk about allyship, like what that looks like. Like you are truly true and true what we call an ally, and Aww. I have goosebumps right now. Thank you for that. Thank you, Melanie. That was very kind of you. You're the mm-hmm. best. You want bad soul sisters, Jazz Brown. I know that's right. <laughs> the first time I don't I don't know if you remember the first time I met you. Maybe you had maybe you did. I don't know. But the first time I encountered it, I, I feel like I've always known you, Uni. <laughs> Seriously. You feel like you've always been around. I know. It's been it's, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I know I've been always floating around. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember when exactly I meet people. But my first memory of a meeting was actually at the Jackie McLean Institute when I was a freshman mm-hmm. there in 2005. And it was the same year that J-Mac passed away. Right. And you came with Pat Metheny to perform and you did a master class for us. And um, Professor Nat Reeves was like, Christian, can you come? talk to these kids and da, 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 and you came through, you played and you just inspired us, inspired me. And then we went and got to see you perform with Pat Metheny. And I, I remember that. Well, I remember meeting uh, Jimmy McBride that day for the first time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, he, he, he wasn't even who may not be hip. He wasn't even in college at that time. That's right. Yeah, he was like 11 or 12 yeah. or something at that time. So Wait, Jimmy who's McBride Jimmy McBride, is, y'all? I'm not hip. Jimmy he's McBride's a drummer. a drummer, yeah. Um, he's killing it. I can't he plays a lot he, with Mickey, Mickey Yamanaka. Yes, yes, mm. yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And he, um, was a, he was a student. He ended up going to Juilliard, I believe. Right. And... Um, yeah, he was always known as a prodigy in Connecticut. Same same thing with Christian Sands too. They were like yep. the, the known prodigies of of CT in Hartford. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my first experience and then um my real close encounters with you were at Jazz House Kids. Yes. Yep, I remember being so happy when you came to Jazz House Kids. Is you you light up every room with your energy, Uni. Oh man, thanks, Christian. Oh, you know, uh. and, and I'm gonna tell you something. I I what I've learned in my life is that I don't take people's good nature for granted mm. because you're always in a good mood, and uh, people sometimes uh, they they take that for granted and they hang around you because they need some good energy, 
and it's tiring. It's tiring, you know. So uh, when I see you smiling and cheerful and happy all the time, I want you to know I don't take that for granted. I know you are human. There are days when you don't feel like smiling, but you do it anyway. There are some days where you don't feel like being the inspiration, but you do it anyway. So I, I got you. I got you. Oh, thank you. I feel real seen right now. <laughs> and, you know, I really I really love and respect and and um, identify with the mission that you and you and Melissa uphold with Jazz House Kids, because it's where I come from. You know, it's what Jackie McLean instilled right. at the Artist Collective. So as soon as I heard about Jazz House Kids and I heard about Jazz House Kids through Julius Tolentino, and right. then there's that through line that, you know, that that history and that lineage that J-Mac created. And yeah. once he told me that, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like, this is just, the this is in alignment with um, the tradition. It's in alignment with the legacy of jazz and just making the music accessible and making sure that everybody Amen. knows who Thelonious Monk is, that everybody knows yeah, right. who, like you said the other day on the bandstand, who Chick Corea is, you know, that's, yeah. that is really, what needs to be continued to be pushed that's right in that's this right world so yeah all the flowers there <laughs> yes 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 well thank you both for having this podcast because uh you know it's needed you know your your you two your voices need to be heard on and off the bandstand so thanks for having me well <laughs> absolutely well and on that note I think why we're excited about this podcast is because we feel comfortable to ask questions that like people probably always wanted to know, but don't know how to ask it or don't have the opportunity mm-hmm. to ask it. And yeah. something that stood out to me, I got to go back to those, that new school session. Mm-hmm. They, you, we were talking about festivals and you were talking about how, cause you were just, I think you had been a year or two or maybe even Five, two years with Pat, Pat Matheny at that point, I believe. Two years? Five years? Five years? Four years, actually. We started that tree in 03. Oh, okay. Wow. I was in high school. And you said that all the reviews, every, all, like the critics, everyone was saying, oh, Christian McBride is so soulful. That was like <laughs> what they led with. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I was watching that the other night and yeah. maybe I'm projecting, maybe I'm projecting, mm-hmm. but knowing that, having that experience with you, that conversation, and then seeing you at the blue note last week, I said, ah, this is part of the process of the musician. I feel like in every era, we have something that we're trying to for the of a lack of better word prove right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i think that at that time in your career you don't want to be pigeonholed by being the black soulful the big soulful bass player you you're like yo i can play i hit the i know the changes like like i'm (laughs) tipping like i'm doing this for real like this ain't no like right but that so at that time that probably was at the fort like what you were interested in people understanding that uh, that side of you but then right. hearing you at the Blue Note last week, <laughs> I said, it felt like <laughs> you were like, y'all Ooh. already know that I'm that dude. 
I can play. I I do the bebop. I do I do the trio thing. I do all the things, and now I can chill in the fact that actually, after all is said and done, I'm still so. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't sell out and get all stiff in my trying to like approve to the jazz police people or whatever that I am imbibing all of these things and. That was very inspiring to me. Would you say that that's been a part of your your evolution of different times, trying to like explore different sides of your musicianship? Yeah. Well, Melanie, thank you for that. I um, yeah. At at that time, I remember that clearly. That um, I always heard the word soulful applied not just to me, but most black musicians that I knew. Um, that um. It, it, it felt to me after a while that it was a way of saying for a group of musicians that are more based on feel than based on intellectualism, they're really good. And I, it, it always felt to me that a lot of critics thought of me as like, Maybe I'm not that intellectually based, but I sure can make the bandstand feel good, which is a great compliment. I don't mind that so much, but it was like, um, um, like you never hear that word applied to Matheny or, mm. or Chick or Brecker um, or Meldow. You know, you rarely find the word soulful tagged on to any white musicians. And but these white certain these certain white musicians get a lot of credit for being creative, intellectual, thinking, you know, whereas a lot of a lot of African-American musicians get tagged simply as being soul. And uh, mm, that's a different wow. type of compliment. I always felt like sort of like a a uh, a 90 percent compliment. You know, like I always felt like critics seem to really, uh, mm. at least I always read that they appreciated sort of the the thinking musician more, you know, the more exploratory yeah. musician. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I was soulful. Roy Hargrove was soulful. Mark Whitfield is soulful. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, my dearly departed brother, Joey DeFrancesco, was one of the few Ooh. White musicians I knew that was labeled as soulful, but he loved mm. playing the blues. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And he played in an instrument that was mostly attributed to black musicians. So mm -hmm. he got the soulful tag as well, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, there was always a little subtle or, or maybe not so subtle reference to race in the word soulful. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm not quite mm -hmm. as sensitive to that now but at the time i was kind of like well damn like you said like i know the changes i could think <laughs> you know mm -hmm. i i i i know how to play inside of odd meters you know i know right. how to play i know how to play rubato <laughs> <laughs> right right not rubato <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I know I know what scales go over a sharp five chord. You know, yeah, I can uh, play the upper yeah. extension. You know, I I, yeah. I I know the sound of uh, uh, B flat over A flat. That's a very open kind of sound. You know, uh, yeah. You know, so yeah. I mean, I, at that time, I thought that, but now I I'm much more concerned with making sure 
younger musicians get a shot. I'm not thinking about me that much anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? mm. Yeah, you know, the last the last few bands that you've had and, and that are now in the arsenal of your immaculate um, discography. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, we've seen so many incredible young musicians like Christian Sands, Ulysses Owens, um, Marcus Strickland, Josh Evans, um, and now Warren 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 Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Woo! Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. and that is... The late boy Hargrove. Yes, the late... Mm -hmm. My dog. Woo! Yeah, with, oh my God, Roy! Yeah, I miss Krusty. Yeah. I used to, I used to call him Krusty. <laughs> oh my! Why, why you? Why you? Why you used to call him Krusty? Well, yeah, what curious. is Krusty? Krusty? Wait, yeah. What about miss that? What? <laughs> What's Krusty? No, nah, can I you share? Tell you. Can you share that with us? Come on! Damn, you, tell said, you. Ah, you said nothing was off limits, um, Christian. <laughs> well, you know, every now and then, you know. Nah, I, I, you know. Ah, okay. I said, put, put some lotion on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <yeah>, <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> but you, you know, oh. you know, one of my favorite things in the world was, uh, you know, I have a, um, I, I keep a hard drive of all of my favorite voicemails. I've been doing this for over twenty five years. Oh, I have wow. hundreds of voicemails from a lot of people who are no longer with us. And mm. all of the voicemails I got from Hargrove, almost, they almost end, they all end the same way. He was like, hey, yo, call me back, you big football head looking <laughs> tails, <laughs> ass. You know, that's just what we do with each other, you know. Yeah, it's the homie. Yeah. <laughs> the homie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Oh, you always got to roast each other. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I think that, like, I have to, like, ask about your experience of recording Parker's Mood, especially because yeah. I feel like a lot of, like, listeners are going to want to know what that was like. Um, that's a special album for especially for our generation. You know, oh, when, wow. we're, when we're in Thank school, you. you know, we, we're we're transcribing bird and we're learning all these bird tunes and then right. we mm-hmm. went to turn to your album because y'all for for us like y'all were that generation that we wanted mm-hmm. to sound like you exactly. know so we we didn't well, just transcribe you. bird solos we transcribed y'all solos we were tra- <laughs> yeah like wow. okay this is what this is what's hot right now look, look at like where i'm gonna transcribe birds two five on the on these changes but what's roy right. saying you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, whoo, that record, that was a thing. Oh, what was that you, session man. like? What was that like? Was that a one day thing? Was it a few days? How, how? What was the process of that? Uh, It was a couple of days. We all were signed to Verb at that time. Me, Roy, and Stephen Scott. And um, mm. I think when we, yeah, when we did that record, I believe Bradley's was still open. Bradley's is basically <sighs> where we all got our training. Um, Bradley's talk about it. Be, talk about uh, it. Yeah, that used to be on Tenth University Place, and uh, right near the NYU campus. And uh, that was one of the mm. few places where you could go here. Um, you know, you could go in Bradley's any night and hear John Hicks, mm. Kenny Barron, Gary Bartz, 
uh, the late Danny Moore, whoever it might have been. And then, you know, the young cats would be in there. Me, Roy, Mark Whitfield, Stephen, um, Antonio Hart. And like, always would be the old, old cats sitting in the audience and they would be schooling us from the audience. Uh, oftentimes it could be embarrassing, but it was, it was so appreciated. Um, particularly when Betty came in there, Betty Carter was like, uh, I, I called her, she was like the police commissioner, you know, um, no critic was ever as scary as Betty Carter. Oh man. And, uh, you know, Betty would come in there and she would be watching the young cats and, and the older cats too. Now, you know, it's like. Betty would be sitting in her favorite seat, which was right in front of the piano, right next to the to the service uh, station, and she'd be sitting there listening, like <laughs> <laughs> me mugging. <laughs> Ooh, and, and, and we'd be like, "Damn, all right, we know Betty gonna have something to say, as always, you know." Right. Um, and so wow. you know, you get schooled at the end of the set, but if you sounded good, they. They they dap you, but like it was it was great because like it was intergenerational. You know, all the old cats and the young cats all in the same place. Mm. And uh, mm -hmm. I played mm -hmm. there a lot with Roy, and um, so mm -hmm. it was a combination mm -hmm. of let's take our three most touted young cats on Verve, have them do a record, kind of in the spirit of Bradley's, also saluting you know, like the giant of the the modern jazz that we are playing, which was Charlie Parker. So, uh, in, mm. in fact, wait a minute. It was the, in fact, I think when we recorded that record, it was the 40th anniversary of Bird's death. I think that also might have had something to do with Ooh. it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so there was a lot of weight I to that. I actually have video footage of that session. Ooh, I would yeah. love to see that. Oh my god, I want to see yeah. that. And it's not, you, you guys not released playing. it. It's just us. It's it's just private. I, it, like for about four years, I used to carry my camcorder on road. I was always inspired by Milt Books. Milt, the, the late great bassist Milt Hinton used to carry his camera on the road with him, just getting random shots of all the cats that he was playing with. Mm, and wow. he published those books in the late 80s and early 90s. And I was inspired by that. So I uh, I took it a step further. So I used to carry my camcorder on the road with me. So I got like four years uh, video footage, just private video footage. I have um, have those voicemails that I've saved. Um, Legendary. When I went on the road with the Philip Morris band in 1982, I interviewed a bunch of cats. Donald Bird and just to have it, you know. So, is it uh, me or is Christian's internet cutting I, in and out? Are I, you noticing that, Uni? Yeah. Got oh, Christian. Cutting up in between. Uh-oh. Yeah, let me do something. Uh -oh. Yeah, because you're, you're saying some juicy uh, things. We need this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too juicy. Let me get a little closer. All right. That, that should... Uh, 
that that should rectify it. I'm I got my iPad a little closer to the door now. Oh yeah, um, that's better. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I was uh-huh. just saying that. Um, yeah, I I was inspired by these Milt Hinton books, and so um, I I just I used to take my camcorder on the road with me, so I've got like four years, four or five years of just private video footage of uh, of all the cats, you know, recording sessions I played on, mm-hmm. gigs. Uh, I got me and Roy mm-hmm. hanging out in the airport. Um, Jimmy Smith cutting up as he well, that's kind of redundant. He always cut up. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but uh, I, I, I got, you would like to see this footage. I would love to see this footage and the, the like creator production, whatever mind in me is like, this sounds like the workings of a beautiful documentary film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, I know right, the right. world would love to see what you've captured. And I, I know you, you, you have some questions. I just, I, it's interesting to me. Cause it's like, you, you also have like added to your your feather and your cap of being you know a, a incredible interviewer podcaster like vo- like part of the culture of um documenting things and like i guess that's like oh i didn't know that because because everybody we all love your work on jazz night in america like your voice thank is you just like, yeah so it's interesting like you just always been about that life of like documenting things that's very cool that's really cool yeah when i was a kid probably my favorite thing in the world to do was go through our family's photo albums Mm. like just seeing the history you know like what did my mom look like when she was pregnant you know what did my grandparents look like in the forties? You know, that was yeah. fascinating to me, you know? So, uh, I wanted to do the same thing. Yeah. That discovery, that archiving and you, mm-hmm. you gotta make yeah. your own documentary Christian. Shoot. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. I, I got enough stuff. <laughs> now it reminds me of the, um, that notes and tones book that right. Taylor yeah. has. Mm-hmm. That book is so... Ooh. That inspired me, too. Yep. That's Because when two right musicians there. talk to each other, that's different than getting interviewed by a writer or a critic. You know, when it's was just like the three of us, you know, we're musicians. So we could get yeah. into a different, uh, you know, uh, uh, a different dimension than, than we could get mm-hmm. with, uh, with a non-musician. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a, it's a trust and a bond and an understanding. Like, you know, you know where I'm coming from and I know where you're coming from. I speak your language and you speak mine, that that whole experience. I have video footage of a jam session at the North Sea Jazz Festival with me, George Benson and Roy. Roy is playing piano and I'm playing drums. <laughs> oh God, I love that's that's the jam session tradition right there. That's that's right. I think that's a big reason why we all miss Roy so much because he yeah. used to go to the jam session all the way through the end. He was that's one right. of those people that we that we looked to when we were going to the jam sessions that we knew yeah. Roy was gonna show up and he was gonna right. be able yeah. to school us and we would learn something yeah. instead of us just you know, people show up and be like, oh, look at me. I've been practicing all day. Like, no. Yeah. Right. Sit down and be like, right. yo, have y'all heard this tune before? Let's try this. Right. Let me right. let me teach you the changes on the bandstand and we can play it yeah. together. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. uh, and that's like, yeah. it's, you don't see it that as much. And yeah, thankfully, that, that's, a, 
that's exactly what used to happen to us at Bradley's. You know, Jasmine Horn tells this story about when she first went to Smalls, uh, she was singing. And uh, I guess she sang a wrong lyric or something. She said Roy was way in the back of the club. And he started shouting out the, the correct lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. That sounds like Roy. Yeah. And, and he means it, and he means it with love too. Like yeah. he, all of that is because he actually really cares. He I've had voice. He wants you to get it right. Yeah, I've had voice teachers where when I've asked them, "Hey, like, how do I do this? I really want to know. I don't like." And I remember I've had teachers that say, "Oh no, don't worry about it. You got it." Mm-hmm. Like yeah. dismissed me and not want to share the knowledge. So I'll, I'll right. always, I think, the whole community can appreciate. Roy yeah, for, that for extra that, for sharing that, the knowledge. That extra step. I remember he'll 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 be like, "Oh, you know this tune, but have you checked out the sh- let's let me teach you the shout chorus." And you're like, right. "What? That's not written right. anywhere." Right. <laughs> yep. He's like, "No, but that's the, right. the oral tradition." Like, oh, that's exactly I miss, right. I miss that. And thankfully, Smalls and Mesro is still around. Right. That, that we could that we can reconvene and do that at whenever we want. Exactly. But I want to so quite. I want to talk to you about your. New DJ, brother, Mister <laughs> Project. My side hustle. Your side hustle. It's not that new. I but- saw Christian DJ <laughs> a few years ago. He's been doing this. I, I already know. It's not new. <laughs> Thank you, Melanie Charles <laughs> D. Flower. <laughs> I'm just saying. You've been doing it's not this. new for those who don't know. Now you know. Well, how did how did you come about doing that? You know, B- DJs are not embraced in the jazz community at all. Right. It's right. actually frowned right. upon. Like when I was in school, you know, a couple teachers were like, "Oh, you could make a monkey go wiki wiki, but can you teach a monkey how to play changes?" Like, come on, that's that's yeah, mad disrespectful yeah, yeah. to like the art for art form. Yeah. Um, but how did you? What made you want to go about doing that? Well, let's see. Uh, one of my dear friends for a long time has been DJ Logic. Mm, and not too long after I met DJ Logic, because Logic played on my Live at Tonic album. And not too long, well, actually, right before I met, uh, whoops, sorry, sorry, uh, Melissa's calling. Let me tell her I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Melissa. Um, I uh, know, right? Um, actually, before I got to know Logic, I saw Mich- Michelle and Deggio Cello perform, and she had uh, Jahi. She had Jahi Sundance uh, doing the ones and twos in her band. So that was the first time I'd actually witnessed um, a turntablist playing with a jazz group or like with an instrumental group. I mean, I had seen groups like us three and um Dickable planets and things like that but this was the first time like you know because like michelle had ron blake and oliver lake in the band you know um uh, i think chris dave was playing in the band back then and mm. so she had i can't remember who was playing keys doggone it oh um, maybe it was mike kane i think it was mike kane and uh and 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 jahi on, on turntables i was like man this is this is killing. You know? <laughs> and um, the way that they were able to work all that in 
And uh, and then I started working with Logic not too long after that. But uh, so I knew mm. that there was a place for turntables in an improvisational group. Uh, you just got to be creative enough, you know. Um, and open to it, yeah. And open to it. That's right. Uh, but me personally, I did a gig in New Orleans in, um, I think this was 2014 or 2013. 2013, I got invited to play this gig in New Orleans. And it was an all-star birthday celebration for DJ Soul Sister, who um, is a personality on WWOZ. She's like one of the most influential and popular DJs in all of New Orleans. And um, she opened for us. And I was standing on the side of the stage watching her. And she was rocking the house Ooh. with just two turntables, all vinyl. No Serato, no, like, she wasn't even doing any scratches. She was just, like, you know, just doing the mixes and, and, and the playlist, like, getting the house rocking. And I'm on the side of the stage, like, whoa, I haven't seen anybody rock the house with just two turntables since, since the 80s, right? Yeah. And it was so inspirational. I knew all the music that she was playing. Uh, all the transitions sounded pretty straight ahead. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. <laughs> so, uh, it's, so DJ Soul, it's, it's DJ Soul Sister's fault that I started DJing. So in 20, the following year, that. yeah, I had a, um, I had a residency. I was artist in residence at the Tri-C Jazz Festival in Cleveland. Mm, yes. Terry Punch Family. Terry. Shout out, shout yes. out to Terry. And so Terry said, uh, okay, we need you to come up with, uh, four different groups for you to play in. And I don't remember what I picked, but um, I couldn't come up with the fourth one. I was like, okay, mm, what am I going to do for the fourth gig? And uh, I was like, I know. Book me a gig in a club and I'm going to DJ. And she's Woo! like, DJ? <laughs> <laughs> do you DJ? I was like, well, not exactly, but uh, this is going to be my maiden voyage. And um, can I tell you two something? It was, it was one of the most embarrassing, worst oh, gigs of my entire life. Damn, humbly. And, uh, <laughs> I will say that, you know, when you're embarrassed and and you fall flat on flat on your ass, it's embarrassing, but you learn from it. Mm. And so uh, mm. I showed up to the gig. You know, I had my crates. I had all my records. But, like, I had no idea about DJ culture. So all I brought were my records. So when I got to the club, the dude was like, uh, where's your equipment? I was like, what equipment? <laughs> so he was like, you got to bring your own shit, man. You know? I was like, really? Like, everything? He's like, well, look, we got turntables, but you got your needles? You, you got your, your, your scratch pads? Right. I was like, mm -hmm. no, I ain't got none of that, you know? Right, you have a so, mixer? Do you got a... <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I just thought I showed up with my records. You know, it's like, no, you got to bring your own stuff. So they Damn. had to call the late night DJ to hurry up and come to the club and, and bring me all his stuff. And like, you know, stuff wasn't, you know, I didn't have the right cables. I mean, it was, uh, it was a mess. So I basically wound up playing a computer-generated song list from my laptop. 
<laughs> wow. Thank God. I love this. But see, dig this. Thank God they actually build it as DJ Brother Mister. So nobody at the club knew it was me. And so <laughs> I was able to get away with having a horrible, horrible gig in relative anonymity. Like Terry knew. She was back there laughing. I was actually kind of pissed. Oh, and, no. And <laughs> damn. Uh, and Christian Sands came with me that night. He was like, oh, damn, bro. You know. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they saw me have a really, really horrible gig. But after that night, I was like, okay, noted. Uh, let me learn as much about DJ culture as I possibly can. So I was mm -hmm. called Soul Sister. I called Logic. I called Jahi. I was like, what do I need to know with well, this, that, this, that, and that. And um, finally, later that year, 2014, I started, I got a, I got a regular gig at Spike Hill in Brooklyn. Mm. And um, my first night DJing at Spike Hill, uh, Soul Sister flew up from New Orleans. The Roots oh. came. Uh, all these people showed up. Uh, Hannibal Burris showed up. I was so wow. scared. All these musicians showed up, and I was like, "Oh, the pressure's on." The oh pressure's my on. god! It's a so it must and, have taken uh, you back to when you first started playing band. <laughs> man, I have never been so frightened in my whole life. I was getting good and toasty on Get my martinis, so to to take the nerves off. Woo! But uh, I have to say, it was a great gig. It was a great, great gig. Yeah, I mean, he's still doing it now. Yeah, yeah, he's still doing yeah. it now. And I, and I feel like I, I think when I saw you DJ, I think it was one of the Spike Hill nights. I think. Yeah, I remember. Mm -hmm. Spike Hill isn't there anymore, actually. Correct. Um, and I think I, when I think about when I walked in and when you were where you were in the middle, I think you you set up shop in the middle of the stage, right? Yeah. When you did it, That's yeah, right. I remember walking in and seeing that. I think that this story is kind of like huge because and it kind of like sets up my next question because i think that it's scary to like mm -hmm. once you're at a certain point and known for something as a jazz musician you don't you want to play it safe because you're not trying to be out here looking <clears throat> crazy mm -hmm. you know and i respect you taking that risk of like you know what i might fall flat on my ass and mess this up but i'm gonna try this new thing and yep. we live in an era where people like get opportunities and like don't live up to them and right. like you had the and opportunity get written off and get written, and get written off, off after it but you had these you you like put in the work to like learn this whole other skill like i took one dj lesson people think that what i do is djing i don't dj while i'm performing but i did mm. take one dj lesson and it is extremely hard and you have yes, to like it's like jazz. You got to transcribe all your records. You have to know each and every record. Yep. You got to know. Yep. And you got to know the blends. And also it's feeling the crowd. and Feeling the crowd. Right. The BPMs. That's right. So when people, if anybody want to throw shade about you DJing, that is very hard. And not everybody could do that. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and I'll tell you, after that gig in Cleveland, I was just like, okay, what Soul Sister was doing was not nearly as easy as it looked. She it's obviously has been doing that for a long time and she knows it well. 
I was a rookie. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and like, it's also knowing the history of the music too. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's, that's right. It's so it's so deep. And yeah. another question that I have about like where in in a perfect world, like where would you want to see like what routes would you want to take with being a DJ? Because I don't think people understand the different routes that you can take. Like there's yeah. there's so many different genres, but there's also that's different right. equipment that you can use. There's like CDs, there's vinyl. You could do vinyl with Serato. There's that's right. Like there's so many different aspects to that. Mm-hmm. Like what in a mm-hmm. in a perfect world, like what what would you want to do with that? Well, <laughs> you like this story. <laughs> so after Spike Hill closed, I started DJing at the shrine. And mm-hmm. I remember like they had me like one thing about DJing is like I probably have to bring more equipment to a DJ gig than I do when I'm playing jazz. You know, mm-hmm. with my jazz gig, I just show it with my bass and maybe an amp, you know. Um, but like with the DJ gig, I had to bring my own table. I brought my own turntables. I brought my own mixer. Uh, I brought my cables. And then as you well know, I bring, I also bring my bass. I bring my electric bass. Yep. You know, so like mm-hmm. right. I had a car, I had a car full of shit. And I was like, oh my God, I gotta figure out a way to shave some of this down. <laughs> you know. And uh, <laughs> and so uh, you know, I bring my laptop, I bring my records, you know. So I'm I'm like, you know, I'm bringing a whole lot of stuff to the gig. Um and then I look at somebody like like Questlove, who was another person who really mastered that game, who really took the time to really get deep down inside and shared on it. Um, I I still got a lot to learn. You know, I'm uh, I'm a baby at Serato. I'm just now kind of getting the hang of it. I haven't mm-hmm. tried it out on a gig yet, but it's coming. Yeah. It's coming. Are there any DJs that you? Yeah, and that's the most important part. You got to yeah. keep the fun in everything that you do. Right. Are there yeah. any like DJs that you like really love and admire as well? Well, you know, I wish I would have gotten to know Dilla. I, I never Ooh. got to meet him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy up in Toronto. Uh, Questlove and I were talking about this guy named DJ Scratch Bastard. <laughs> and he did these killing James Brown mixes and I was like oh I'm gonna follow this guy mm. uh, so DJ Scratch Bastard I, I check him out a lot uh, Jahi's my man uh, Grandmaster DST who actually lives not that far from here um, mm. you know he was one of the pioneers of doing that with Herbie Hancock back in the rocket days wow wow um, so yeah, I, there's, there's a couple of cats out there who I really enjoy. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed your set. Um, I, I'm sorry, Mel. <laughs> no, you got, you got it. Um, I really enjoyed your set at the Montclair Jazz Festival because everybody, you. everybody, you had everybody dancing, and you know, I think on one of our last podcasts, I was talking about it, and you played uh, "Payback" by James yeah. Brown, and you made. You playing that actually made me re- reminisce on one of Kendrick Lamar's re- albums mm. um, and had me notice that his song, King Kunta, on yeah. uh, Butterfly, mm-hmm. literally James Brown, embodying James Brown's Big time. percussive attack, just even mm. pulling from his those lyrics and oh, then yeah. creating it. Oh, in yeah. his own. So like you brought that, I felt it immediately when you played it. And I was like, oh, oh shoot, thank wow. you. Uni. So like that really, I wanted to bring that to. Hey, you know, back in the 90s, like 
almost every hit in Vogue had sampled the payback. <laughs> it's like they made a whole career out of the payback. Man, hip, <laughs> hip hop is, most hip hop is all James Brown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, facts. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I'm going to put you on the spot now because you can't say no now that you're on the podcast because we've been trying to get you to DJ the next time we get it in person. So we gonna, I'm going to put that out there in front of all the listeners. <laughs> if, if the things align, if the stars align, would you be down to DJ our next Make Gestural Again in person I, event? I can't tell you no. <laughs> Just make sure you yes. have a big bottle of vodka for me. Okay. So I can take okay. the nerves off. That's easy. And we'll make sure your easy. equipment is set up so you could just show yes. us too. Yeah, you don't have to bring no equipment. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yep. Great. We already know what you need. <laughs> so <laughs> listeners, you heard it here first. You can expect Christian McBride to be DJ. No, D- DJ. Brother Mr. Brother Mr. Brother Mr. And I next... Mm. Make Joshua again event. I, I want to quickly um, ask a question on behalf of the bass players out there okay. who are listening. So my good mm-hmm. friend, Jonathan Michelle, who is my bass player. Who, what up, Jonathan? Yeah, shout out to Jonathan <laughs> Michelle. I was like, what should I ask Christian? What should I ask Christian? And he asked a really good question. He said, I imagine us bass players would like to know how you transition from a side man to a band leader. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, I don't know if I had any particular concept on how to do that. It was actually sort of, uh, I, I, I now realize that when I became a band leader, I didn't quite know what I was doing, but here we are again. It was okay. You know, I learned a lot. I probably mm-hmm. wasn't the best band leader in the early days, but uh, I, I I know more now than I did when I was 20. I took my first band on the road in 1995 when my first album, Getting To It, came out. And uh, <clears throat> 1995, I was 23. And um, I had Tim Warfield playing tenor, uh, Anthony Wanzi on piano. Wanzi! Yeah, Wanzi. <laughs> That's right. And either, that's right. Mm-hmm. And either Carl Allen or Greg Hutchinson playing drums. And even by then, I'd had considerable uh, side person experience. So, I, you know, I was like, well, how hard can it be? You know, it can't be that hard. You know, just call your own tunes. You know, you get to shape the set. and um, But it's sort of like there's a much larger responsibility in being a band leader. Um, You set the tone for your entire band. You set the tone for the room. You Mm. set the tone for what you, you know, this is your vision, your path. So it's kind of more than like uh, just calling tunes you like to play or tunes that you've written. Um, Mm. I Mm. feel like a lot of my biggest mistakes came from um, maybe, not really having much direction, you know, it's like I knew Carl Allen had a lot of experience. I knew Greg Hutchinson had a lot of experience. Tim Warfield had some experience. Wazzy was sort of the baby of that group. And so I thought, Mm -hmm. uh, well, I don't really have to tell these guys too much. They know what to do. And in retrospect, I probably should have, 
you know, had a little more, uh, you know, navigational skills. But um, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't bad. It just, uh, I just didn't know that much, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I think the best band, or one of the best bands that I had, and when I felt like I started to come into my own as a band leader, uh, was the band that I had with Ron Blake, Jeff Keezer, and Terry on Gully. Um, we, we made the record Vertical Vision for Warner Brothers, and then we made the three CD set Live at Tonic. Uh, that band was special because I actually had a concept for that band. And the concept for that band was not much different from the concept I have with this new band. And that concept is how do we get how do I get all of my favorite things about music into one band without it sounding, you know, schizophrenic? Because I love yes. playing straight ahead. I love playing funk. I love playing out. I love mm-hmm. playing experimental. I love playing acoustic. I love playing electric. So how do you get all of this into one band without it sounding like, you know, six different bands every song, you know? Yes. Um, right. So I realized, one, you gotta you got to take real you got to be very careful and diligent about who you get in your band. You got to know people who, you know, are willing to go down that road with you. Um, wow. Yeah. It will help if you know that the personalities are going to work, you know? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, right. And, uh, you know, um, you, you just you just got to really get your team in place. And, and like I said, I don't mean necessarily mm. people you know who are just going to, you know, hey, these are some good musicians. I know the music's going to be killing. That's going to, you know, if I get these guys yeah. together. But be real specific right. about your vision and who's going mm-hmm. to be the, the right people to help you get to your vision. Mm. So I think I didn't really right. start figuring that out until I had that band. Mm. Wow. That reminds me of kind of like how Duke Ellington, like, you know, wrote for specific people in his. That's right. That's right. Mm. Yep. That's because I I remember like. um, A a story comes to mind. I remember when my third CD came out, A Family Affair, uh, that was the first record that I had done where I blatantly tried to get some funk in there you know (laughs) george duke Mm -hmm. produced it i played electric bass um i had vocals on there uh vesta sang one song will downing sang another one so it was like this r&b meets straight ahead jazz kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. and um and so when we played the record release party at the jazz standard um it's like okay here I am going to try to mix all of these different sounds together. And first of all, if you could have seen just how we looked, <laughs> I, I remember I had, uh, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to play electric bass. We're going to be playing a little bit of funk. So let me dress for the occasion. I had on a, wait, check this out. I had on a, wait a minute. Well, so let me describe Warfield. So, you know, Warfield, <laughs> Warfield is a hardcore, post bopper you know <laughs> he's he's all about late 50s coltrane blue no era wayne shorter joe right. henderson hank mobley that's his thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. um uh 
Charles Craig was playing piano and keyboards with me then. He was wide open. Greg Hutchinson could play anything. He was wide open. Facts. So mm-hmm. Tim shows up immaculately dressed in his usual, you know, two-piece tailored suit, you know, <laughs> looking like he's getting ready to play with Art Blake and the jazz messages, right? <laughs> the jazz uniform. On, <laughs> the jazz uniform, that's right. I showed up to the gig, I'll never forget this. I had on a purple velvet Applejack <laughs> with a, a black silk shirt with a purple vest Ooh. and these black and white pinstripe pants with these patent leather shoes on with a lot of silver ice on, right? I'm and dead. I what, what year is this again? 98. 98. Yeah. I need to find pictures from this event. Like, <laughs> I, I think I might have some. And I, I, I look like I'm about to go play a gig with Prince. <laughs> or, or sliding the family stone, you know. And so, like, to see me and Warfield, just the visual, <laughs> you, you could see the rub that was in the band, right? And, oh, and like, so we start playing, like, the more funk stuff, like brown funk, you know, and uh, uh, Summer Soft, Stevie Wonder, Summer Soft. Yeah. Um, it just... Yeah. It was like you oil know, and water type. At, at some point, I was like, "This is probably not the right band," you know. And uh, <laughs> all great musicians on oh, paper. Great musicians. It's not about that, right? They all right. kill it, you know. It's and, like on uh, paper, this looks good, but right, right. <laughs> and uh, so I, I just remember thinking, like, okay, I, I might need to sort of rethink this. You know, and then mm-hmm. a couple of years later, I started that band with Ron and uh, and Keezer and Terion, and it was mm-hmm. just like it, was the, it took a couple of years, but mm-hmm. I found the right combination. Wow! I want to back up. Just I have one quick question about the Parker's mood because I feel like everyone's yeah. always asking this question. They probably already you probably already answered this many times, but whose idea was it not to have drums? Yeah. I don't really remember. I, that was more of a um, bebop too. Like what? Oh my yeah. god! Because you because well, you want Max in there, like you know, right? Like, well, again, going back to Bradley's, drums weren't a regular thing at Bradley's because Bradley's actually had a no drum rule, like Mesro is now, like, like Mesro exactly, mm-hmm. right? That's what it, that so, club is modeled. Um, at. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, and so. Every once in a blue moon, you know, Lewis Nash would play in there. Winard Harper would play in there. You know, Billy Higgins would come in and play mm-hmm. Bradley's every once in a while. But you didn't see a lot of drummers in there. So the concept of having no drums mm-hmm. was right in line with what Bradley's was all about. So because uh, Cats would be playing wow. bebop in there all the time with no drums. Ooh, and I guess, that's and that's so why nice. all the bass players that come out of there are killing because that means you really holding down the pocket. You got pocket to learn the how time. to your time. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. You got you. You don't have two people's jobs. Right. Hello. Right. That's right. Right. Ain't no wow. drugs in one. Damn, Christian. Thank you so much for are being here. Kidding? This is this is a hang. I feel I like we're in the back of the, the back room, chilling, hanging out. Right. Like, y'all, I love y'all, this. y'all, I'm so y'all happy. here with me in my backyard. Yes. I might have to. I might have to put the grill on. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I 
let's go. But there's one last thing that we do at the end of our podcast when we have a guest. Are we at the end? I mean, I mean, no, not yet. I know. <laughs> like, like, like James Brown said on CNN. Wait a minute, I just got here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, oh, I know. <laughs> Mel, was there anything else you wanted to add before we? I did. I, I just, you know, I just. Let's get to uh, that. <laughs> I feel, I feel like your role in replacing George Ween at Newport Jazz Fest is yep. so important and exciting and pivotal and i i really loved after first of all thank you for bringing me into the fold this year that was the highlight of my summer was opening up the stage um for that was that the second day at newport i believe Mm -hmm. thank you so much for bringing me in there but besides you know bringing me in when you dive i just have to say also, congratulations to that. It is massively pivotal. A black man, a musician, being the voice, the artistic direct, the director, the vision for one of the most iconic jazz festivals. Yeah. In the world that people model their guys. jazz festivals after. The fact that you are at yes, the head of literally. that. Yes. Thank you very, very much. Yes. That, that means a lot coming from you guys. Thank it's, you. We have to give you the flowers for that. Oh, Thank for you. sure. Uh, I mean, well, there's, there's. I'm sorry. There's so there's much. Two no. I want to like. I'm. I'm. A, I'm gonna be very heavy-handed because there's two things that I wanted to shine light on, and I would love to hear your opinion on that. Is one, la- a few years ago, I believe it was you that brought in Sunny Moon. Mm-hmm. And yep. Anna Wise and that whole collective, and I feel like I remember mm-hmm. the whole community being like, "What are they doing there?" And I was like, "That's why Christian's the trillest, the trillest, <laughs> the trillest," because he understands that this is a reflection of the time. This is yeah. exactly what jazz is supposed to be. So right. I would love mm-hmm. to hear is like what like what are you looking for when you're thinking about your curation in that sense, and also. It meant so much to me when you broke down the conversation you had with Mr. Ween about how he was like, I'm ready to pass this on to you. That is you. I would love for you to share that with our listeners, please. Well, um, gosh, I'm um, such a uh, effusive words, uh, beautiful words from you guys. um, I'm very grateful for, for your support. And Melanie, like I told you, there was no way in the world that you weren't going to play in Newport after y'all don't really care about black women came out. That's re- really one of, I, I think that's the best record of 2021. Uh, certainly yeah. one of the top five records of yes. 2021. You know? Thank you. Um, Thank you. Period. Uh, the actual music, uh, the production of it, when I put it on, because I, 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 well, you saw it, I bought it on vinyl. So, yes. um, I put that on, I was like, damn! This is killing. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no. Thank you. And and you did what I think I've always strived for because I believe in uh I believe in history. I believe in tradition, but history and tradition don't mean much if you don't 
build upon it. You know, it, it mm. should be used as inspiration to do something new. Uh, just like the African word saying Kofa, you know what I mean? It's like, you got to have a foot rooted in tradition. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have to. And I feel like too often, uh, sometimes the jazz community is always too ready to break from tradition as an MO. And everybody I know who was an innovator, Jay Mack, Bobby Hutcherson, Freddie Hubbard, uh, uh, McCoy Tyner, Roy Haynes, they're not interested in breaking from tradition. E- even like the, the movers and shakers of today. Uh, I mean, God bless Roy Hargrove. I mean, I can't think of a better mm-hmm. example of somebody who was so mm. fiercely uh, entrenched in the tradition, but he loved funk, he loved hip hop. You know, he's like, we got to get all this in. You know? Yeah. And so um, when I heard your record, Melanie, and, you know, I heard that Ellington mixed in with some of the more modern stuff. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Let's climb it up. That means everything to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's crazy. I appreciate that. Like, you have no idea. Um, yes. So, however, (laughs) (laughs) but but you know what I was going to say. I feel like in the in the jazz world, uh, right now in 2022, um, there is so much variety of of things going on right now. Got to get it all in. Now I know Mm -hmm. historically, most jazz festivals, um. Doesn't matter where it is, Newport, Detroit, Monterey, Jacksonville, DC, Chicago, whatever it is, uh, most jazz festivals tend to cater to a certain generation. Mm. And that generation is not our generation. And if you look at the history of all of these jazz festivals, they book people who were of their generation. You know, uh, when when people like Sarah Vaughn or, 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 or Miles Davis or Thelonious Monk played Newport Jazz Festival, they were the contemporary artists of that day. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I don't think I'm doing anything different than any jazz festival did 50 years ago. So me bringing Sunny Moon or you or Inth Power or uh, 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 Common. Levi Garcia. Dubai Garcia, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, I, I don't know where, I don't know what happened where a lot of, a lot of the, um, the overseers, for lack of a better word, uh, they stopped, like somehow the, the progress of jazz in their mind stopped in the late 60s. Mm. And like anybody after that is viewed as being unusual. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, or, not, like, or not jazz at all, or or, or not, not jazz, jazz. You know, mm-hmm. uh, now now you know. Look, I'm I'm always on the lookout for somebody who's swinging, who's somebody doing some straight ahead because we we desperately need that too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's why I'm glad that yes. somebody like uh, Isaiah J. Thompson is out there swinging. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, somebody like you know Emmett Cohen is out there swinging. Somebody like Tia Fuller is out yes. there swinging, you know. Yeah. Um, yes. But I mean, yeah, you know, to have somebody like like 
Sunny Moon. That that to me, that's par for the course of having a festival that has lots of variety, is contemporary, mm. it's necessary to mm. be able to yeah. keep the blood flowing in our community. Mm. And generally speaking, somebody who's 70, 75 years old, they're not going to be that open to, you know, experiencing, you know, a group like Sunny Moon, you know, or, or, uh, or, or maybe Sons of Kemet, you know what I mean? But yeah. That's, that's no reason why I shouldn't book it. I have to book that because mm-hmm. that's what's that's what's moving and shaking in our community right, right. now. And you might not know how the seven year old may even actually take a liking to you. you may be putting them on and right. they're like, wow, I would have never yeah. found out yeah. about them if they were not on this. That's bill. right. That's now, true. Me, mm-hmm. I get lots of uh, I mean, you know, I don't I don't get a lot, but every festival I get an obligatory uh nasty email from some older person, you know, like, I don't know who any of these people are. George yes. Ween would have never booked this. And I'm like, yes, he would have. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Which is exactly right. why he gave me the torch, you know? Mm-hmm. Talk about it. That's and, right. And and I got to give credit to George because when George, I, I funny you would mention Sunny Moon because them specifically, he actually stayed and listened to them. And he said, oh, wow. I don't really get this, but if you like them, I got your back. Damn, that is huge. Yep. Wow, that's real. And now that he's, you know, departed, to have that, to carry that with you is for him to say that can help you move forward with, you know, and feeling confident with your vision for the festival too. Yeah. Not that, not that you necessarily need his co-sign per se. Right. Right. But mm-hmm. you it's know, nice to have. It's nice he, to have it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it yeah. is his child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Quite literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And George really said that, you know, George, like, look, I, I, he, he had no biological children of his own. So he used to say, my baby is the Newport jazz festival. Mm-hmm. Take care of my baby. Mm-hmm. You know. Wow. That's beautiful. I was like, I got you, George. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Ah! So don't worry. Y'all going to... Melanie, you're going to be back. And Uni, I need you to put, uh, put, put, put something together so we can have you up there, baby. Okay. You know. Yes, Uni. Yes. Put a put a J Mac tribute together. Listen, I got something in my back pocket that I'm trying to put push forward that is been on my back pocket. Put it in the front pocket. It's got it's got to go in the front. front pocket. (laughs) I got to take it out and and take the cash out the back pocket and pay it up. (laughs) Well, romance. We have this one mix, as the song says. (laughs) That's a nuisance. Man, Christian, thank you so much. This is my honor. This is a whole vibe, I gotta say. Yeah. And we don't let our our guests leave without playing a game. Uh oh. So we have a game called Trill Trivia. <laughs> uh oh. So we got yes, that's that's what we do. We have a game called oh, Trill Trivia. Lord. So I I put together a couple of questions and. We find out how much how much you know. <laughs> I'm now, nervous. I don't know the question, no. so I'm with you, Christian. I'm in the hot seat with you. 
Yes, it is a little bit of a hot seat because I I am a bit of a of a of a jazz nerd and oh, historian. Boy. So I, I don't know if historian is the right word, but geek. Yeah, yes, you are. <laughs> now, before I get to these questions, you have an option. Do you want multiple choice or open ended? Totally up to you. Uh, give me multiple choice. Boom. Okay. All right. Welcome to Trill Trivia. Make Uh-oh. Jazz Trill Again podcast. <laughs> Question number one. Which Chick Korea tune was featured on Blue Mitchell's 1964 Blue Note album, The Thing to Do? Chick A- tune. Uh-oh, you didn't even need that. Yeah. He said he don't need your multiple choice. Mm-hmm. Okay, see, I, that's okay. the easy. That's the easy question. That's the warm up. Oh, hey, you don't. Okay. How many points do you get for a good question? We never did points. How many points does Christian get for we that never answer? Get points. Yeah. That's, well, you, since you didn't need the need the um the multiple choice, we're gonna give you ten points. Yes, ten points. Ten points. Now, extra, how many extra questions extra. are there? There's only three. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, got a, I, I got a 333 average. All right. <laughs> okay. Which bass player is known for recording with these two tenor titans, Sonny Stitt and Gene Ammons? Is it A? Buster Williams. Nope. <laughs> is it A? Ray Brown, B, Paul Chambers, C, Percy Heath, or D, Sam Jones? I know Buster played in the band. Okay, so on the... uh... Do you want an album reference as a lifeline? Yeah. Left left bank encores. That's got to be Sam. Ding! Nice okay. one. Okay, five points. Five points. Five points. Right. Okay. Five points. Five points. Damn, you need tough. <laughs> hey, man. I learned from Phil Schaap. Yeah, there you go. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Phil Schaap. Okay, last question. Phil Schaap would not approve of this question, but I have it here anyways. (laughs) Which R&B Trill Queen recorded an arrangement of A Night in Tunisia? Chaka Khan. I gotta say, shout out to Mel for putting me onto that record. <laughs> it's yeah, so man. good. That song in particular, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give you part B of that question. Yes. You know who wrote that arrangement? Christian McBride. I wish. <laughs> um. Dang. Wait, was it? Was it? Was it Quincy? I was just gonna. No. Nope. Quincy. Jo- no. Nope. What? What's their instrument? Oh! Oh! Was it a drummer? Nope. What what's the instrument of the arranger? Uh piano. He, he was more known was as it, an arranger than a was piano. Was it George Duke? 
Nope. Um, he, he was Turkish. Turkish? Also a famous producer. He produced that album. Dang, you got me at my own game. I don't know why I thought it was Lenny White that produced the album. I don't know where I got that. Nope, it was Arif Martin. What? I don't, I'm not familiar. Look up Arif Martin. He also, he also produced Aretha Franklin. Get the heck out of here. All right, now I have homework. Not Christian getting beating us to our own game. I know. Okay. You know, I knew to do. Of Thank course, you for that I have a lot of homework. The children are back at it. Yeah. What, what Aretha? What Aretha did he produce? Yeah. I th- he he produced some of the early uh, Atlantic records. Jesus. And, and did a lot of the arrangements on there. He he and Jerry Wexler, uh, Aretha Martin and Jerry Wexler did a, a lot of those Atlantic records back in the back in the sixties. Is, is Aretha still around? He passed away, I think, about 10 years ago. Dang. In fact, uh, did he produce... Did he produce Nora Jones' first album? I think oh. so. Oh, or, or, wow. or, 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 I, know, I know he had something to do with it. That's okay. that's real trill trivia right there. Yeah, yep. that's real trill trivia. Yeah, yeah. Ooh! so good i'm so happy i can tell uni's so happy like look at uni smile <laughs> uni happy well you guys rock man man this is so, so fun with you. oh gosh i, I want to be y'all sidekick let's go listen anytime anytime <laughs> if, if you guys whatever we would love to have you always always yes anytime you, you want to come back so much melanie yes. where'd you grow up again remind me Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yes. There you A go. real Brooklyn girl. Brooklyn in the house. Hey, hey. <laughs> um, hey, Philly. Your e- did your Eagles win yesterday? Whoop they ass. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Giants, Giants is coming. Giants is coming. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. I guess before, before we close out, Christian, is there anything that you... You want people to? I mean, you're Christian McBride. Like anything people need to know, they know it already. It's not like you gotta you gotta plug anything. But is, is there anything you would like to leave the listeners with? Uh, I'm just really glad that you two are doing this, and I'm glad there's some deep brown female energy in this jazz world. Ah, oh, thank you, Christian. Thank you, oh, Christian. But thank you. We need that. Thank you. As we used to say back in the day, too many hard legs in the room. <laughs> <laughs> too many hard legs. Hard legs. The, the, yeah, hard, hard, hard legs. Too many dudes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we say our generation. We say sausage fest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Right, 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 yeah. right. Oh, uh, yeah, no, y'all are cool. Mm-hmm. Man. Y'all are cool, talented. You visionaries. You're doing your thing. Thank, Thank you. you. And I think we also have to just shout out really quickly our sister friend Savannah, because um, we saw her playing with you last week. And we yes. were so proud to be her, to say that we're her friends. We came yeah. to support. And I mean, she is incredible. Jeez. And I love that you spotlighted her composing by playing her tune in the set. Like, that yeah. was so exciting. So, shout out to Savannah. 
Um, Savannah Grace Harris. Yeah, that's it. More is. That was that tune you played, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh. We love her. All right. Treasure. So are we ready for our, our sign-off? Yes, that's why I'm looking at Let's you like do this. It. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining in on this episode. Make sure you click save, click the bell for all the notifications so you know when we have new guests, new episodes. And whatever you do, remember to make just just treasure. treasure.